Pump up the volume on your parenting with Parent Pump Radio. Tune into something different that makes a difference. At Parent Pump Radio, instead of a ripple, we choose to create a splash. Get energized, get inspired, and get informed with how to parent in the new millennium. With your host and parent coach super guide, Jacqueline T.D. Wynn. Hi, this is Jacqueline T.D. Huynh. Welcome to Parent Pump Radio. Our show is all about dynamic family leadership and leaving a profound legacy for our children. Book an appointment with me to see how I can help you cash flow through our turnkey real estate investing program. Turnkey means we do it all. We acquire, renovate, manage for you. You purchase and prosper. Our single family homes start at $75,000 in cash flow now. And be sure to also get my two books that are on Amazon, True Legacy Wealth, Creating Generational Wealth with Real Estate Investing, and the Itty Bitty Book on Family Leadership. So you can go to my website, integrativeminds.com, book a strategy session with me, order my latest books, and schedule a time to speak with me. Our show is also available on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, YouTube, and syndicated on RethinkRadio.org, OneIdeaWay.com, and Armed Radio. I'm really excited about our guest today because I know he's going to bring so much worthwhile information for me, for you, for the whole family. So he is a New York Times bestseller. His book, Performing Under Pressure, The Science of Doing Your Best When It Matters Most, is published in 65 countries and was named Inc. Magazine as one of the top 10 business books of the year. He advises U.S. Army, Navy, Fortune 500 companies such as IBM, Mercedes-Benz, and is a performance coach to the NFL, the NBA team, and Olympic medal-winning athletes. He's also taught executive education at Kellogg School of Management. He spends his time researching and writing on the variables that drive performance and leadership. His firm has surveyed over 40,000 people a month. Now his firm, the Institute for Health and Human Potential, has been named by Profit Magazine as one of the fastest growing companies. He speaks widely around the world on performance, leadership, disruption, innovation, and entrepreneurship. And I'm so glad to have him here today in the show. So please welcome Dr. J.P. Polly Fry. Hi, Dr. J.P. Hey, just call me J.P. Great to be here. Thanks okay, so J.P. Love it the is. Introduction. Thank you so much. Oh my gosh. I didn't even know what to cut out because you have done such amazing thing. Thank you. Thank you. My pleasure. Great to be here. So let's get into talking about pressure because that's what we're talking about. Parenting under pressure and how emotional intelligence plays into that. What does our brain do under pressure and how can we manage it better? Yeah, that's a great question. First of all, I would just say this, that being a parent is really difficult. So if anyone is listening right now and they're thinking, oh, everyone else is doing a great job, having an easy time of it, but I'm not, you're wrong. Everyone is having a difficult time of it. And every age kind of a developmental zone will, you know, we could call it of different ages, bring different challenges. You know, when the kids are younger, it's more of a physical challenge. As they get older into their teens, it's more of an emotional challenge. So I want to just, even before we start, just say, for anyone who's listening, just know if you're struggling with your kids, you are absolutely not alone, number one. Number two, kind of good for you to listen to this and hopefully other resources to understand what can I do to be a better parent under pressure? Because 
there is a ton of pressure that both parents feel. It's like parents are under pressure, kids are under pressure, and now you put the two of them together. Not an easy, it's, 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 a, it's a bad concoction. Right. And the kids don't have the emotion, intelligence yet to stay calm. So then we get all stressed out, then they just feed off of that. That's a great point. It's not till age 24, 25 that a, an important part of our brain kind of closes up or, or really develops our prefrontal cortex to calm, you know, the amygdala, the emotional part of our brain. And that and that's really important for people to know that, especially for teens, maybe not for 23, 24, 25 year olds, but in that teen zone, it's really hard because teens don't have, and certainly younger kids listen to us a little bit more, but you've got this tension between the teen trying to individuate away from their parents because they want to be individuals. And that's a healthy, normal process. But then you also have the fact that their brain has not fully developed. So they don't have the really the tamping down of their emotional impulses by their higher centers, by their you know, executive function areas, their prefrontal cortex. And because of that, and I hate to say this, but it's just true, teens are just more liable to engage in risk-taking behaviors. Add in maybe a third big part, which is that they have other teens who are also going through the same thing, also individuating away, also trying to find you know, themselves, trying to establish, establish themselves in their peer group. And so that peer pressure plays a big role as well. I mean, we've got tons, of, I don't even need to go into that, but you know, that's another factor. And so it's really hard to kind of parent those young people through that really challenging time. I have a 17, I have three kids, 23, 20, and 17. And well, the 17 year old is, is, it's hard right now. You know, he's a great guy and he is challenged by the same thing. It's peer pressure. He's trying to find his way in his peer group. And he's got parents who are, you know, trying to parent him in a way that keeps him safe. So then what does the brain do under pressure? And then how can we as yeah. parents manage it better? In other words, I don't think I answered that question the first no. time, did I? And I'm, that's very <laughs> important to me right now. <laughs> sure, <laughs> sure. No, that's, a, that's good interviewing skills, knowing when I'm not really answering the question. Let's just talk in general terms. Uh, you or I or anyone listening are under pressure. We've got a pressure situation. It could be a conversation we're having. It could be a presentation we're making, a decision we have in front of us. And so we feel a certain pressure to make a good decision, have a, an effective conversation, make a good presentation. And so what's going on is that there are really three attributes of that situation. Number one, and it's all about the outcome. The outcome is important to us. Number two, the outcome is uncertain. We don't know which way it's going to go. And number three, we feel responsible for the outcome, but we feel judged on the outcome. So three important characteristics, importance, uncertainty, and we feel judged. Mm -hmm. So here's what happens, especially around the being judged. The importance and the uncertainty turns on our brain a little bit, but what really turns on our brain, and especially the emotional part of our brain, this part called the amygdala, which literally in Greek means almond, and I've dissected the brain and it looks like a little almond. This almond gets turned on by that third characteristic of pressure, which is feeling judged on how things are going, on the outcome. And so when we feel judged, we call it social appraisal, it turns out our amygdala to sit there and say, am I okay? 
am I going to get eaten? Do I eat it or does it eat me? As we look at that threat in front of us. It's like a fight so or flight. Have, it, it absolutely is. And so what happens is that it can trigger the amygdala to hijack our higher centers, flood our working memory so we can't think straight. And so the ability to, you know, to have complex thinking goes out the window. So we're not as smart as we normally are for about 18 minutes, by the way, because the mediating chemical is cortisol. So its half-life is 18 minutes. So, I mean, this is a lot for all listeners, but it's almost like for 18 minutes when you're hijacked, you're not going to be as smart as you normally are. You might make decisions that are not as effective. You might, you know, that conversation is a little more at risk. That presentation is a little more at risk. So you need strategies to manage your brain under pressure so that you can think as well as is possible. So that you can have the conversation in a way that is as effective as possible. So that's what happens to the brain. That's what happens to the brain under pressure. Like you said, it's like being hijacked. You have no control of it anymore. So while our teen is under that that hijack and then we our brain gets hijacked too what do we do how do we coach our teens when we're under pressure and they're under pressure well that's it there's two big things to manage your brain and their brain and it's not easy and again norming it for everyone listening this is really hard stuff so what do you do well you got to manage yourself first if you aren't able to think then then you're not going to be effective for your teen so number one you need to prepare Almost the biggest thing I'm going to say, you need to prepare. You need to do a whole bunch of things before these moments so that when you're in the moment, you've got some resources available to you, right? So I'll give you an example from the earlier uh, remark or the earlier comment about, let's say we have a presentation to make. One of the most effective things you can do for a presentation is prepare, 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 because you're not going to, you're going to lose working memory. You're not going to be able to think as clearly. And so you need to be able to know what you're going to say, the real, the real kind of key and simple talking points really well. So prepare, prepare, prepare. And it's the same when we're interacting with our team. You need to really be prepared. Right now, sometimes there's just an interaction where you can't prepare. Okay, whatever. But if you have to have an important conversation, go and find someone. Could be your co-parent, you know, your parent or co-parent. You could be your good friend could be a therapist, could be a coach. Go and find someone and walk through the whole conversation that you might need to have with them. You know, let's say it's about a behavior that they're engaged in that is, you know, not you're not cool with or marks that you're worried about for them or a peer group they're hanging out with that you're seeing signs that again they're at not at they're not they're unsafe. Whatever it is, don't go in blind. Don't go in thinking you can think on your feet because you're going to be less able to think on your feet in that precise moment yeah. than you are the rest of the day, the rest of the week, practically, because it's a pressure moment. You're, you, the outcome's important to you. You're not sure how it's going to go, uncertainty. And you're being judged, in this case, by them, quite frankly, and also by others who you think, oh, I should be parenting differently. And so I would say the first thing to do is prepare, number one. Number two, find that support. Go find someone that you can kind of talk about the situation with. By the way, one of the things that we're beta testing right now, which if people Google me and they look at from my podcast, the last 8% podcast, one of the things that we're doing is we've created a peer coaching platform, which is literally a way that you can go on register and we give you a whole bunch of education, really short, like videos, and all the questions you need so that you can engage in a peer coaching relationship with someone. 
it's all for free, but we're doing this because a lot of people don't feel like they have a coach, a therapist, or, or somebody they can necessarily bounce ideas off with. And so literally, Google me to find it. The idea is that we'll prepare you so you can jump on a Zoom call like this or a Skype call. We prefer, we suggest video versus telephone, but telephone's fine. But you literally are with another person. They're coaching you. There's three outcomes. They're coaching you on the challenge you're facing. You're coaching them. So you're building great skills yeah. of asking questions, being a good listener. And number three, you feel a little less alone as you face some of the big challenges you're facing. So that would be, so prepare, get support. Those are two big ones. I mean, of course, there are 22 strategies in, in my book, Performing Under Pressure. So I, I probably should mention that, which is available kind of, you know, everywhere and anywhere. But but that there's a whole bunch of like very, you know, prescribed tools there that, you know, people can take a look at and see which ones work best for them. They can just go to your website, IHHP.com? Correct. Okay. So Correct. I like Indian, H like Harry, H like Harry, P like Paul.com. And you can sign up for that peer group. Let's get back. What do our teens need from us to help them navigate these challenging years? Sure. Number one, they need kind of a balance of what we call of heart and edge. They need to know that we absolutely love them and we're there for them. And it's non-contingent. They don't need to get certain marks for us to love them. They need to know that we love, support them and believe in them. And that's the heart side. And that's really important because we're getting a whole bunch of signals from our team that says, I don't care what you think. I don't want anything to do with you. Not always, but at times, absolutely. And so we've got to be careful that we don't kind of fall into this trap, uh, this really what we call the difference between impact and intent, right? We can read someone, our team's behavior, and we misread what, because of what's going on in our brain, like we mentioned earlier, we can jump to judgment about their intention. We can confuse the impact they're having on us because the way the brain works, we feel before we think. So we feel before we can kind of think about it, but we feel their impact and we confuse that impact for their actual intention. So this is a tool in and of itself, actually, that I think any listener can use, right? Mm -hmm. Your teen is upset by school, by social, by a whole bunch of things that, that things that are going on, maybe by you, but their behavior towards you doesn't necessarily mean they hate you, they don't want anything to do with you, but that's how we read it. So we've got to be careful, right? In this heart and edge model, we've got to be careful not to confuse their intention or their impact for their actual intention. Okay. So we need to love them unconditionally, no matter how they're acting, right? Loving is not, by the way, saying everything you can do is fine. Loving is loving, right? So we love them no matter what, no matter their marks, no matter what's going on. That's hard. Edge is, hey, there are real boundaries for your behavior. There are lines that you cannot cross where you're unsafe, where, you know, and, and, and it's going to be different for every family. So you got to talk about that with your, you know, your parent or co-parent or whoever. Like you got to really think about that. This is not okay. And then you've got to be able to have the tough conversations, even though they're not going to be happy with you. They will get over it, right? So that edge piece is as important as the heart piece. And by the way, the edge piece is also a real belief in them. I said belief is heart, but there's also a little belief of having high expectations for your kids, but, but not putting, so having said all of that, 
I, one of the things I do is I coach coaches, right? Coach, you know, Olympic coaches, NBA coaches, and then folks in Fortune 500s. And it's really important as a coach. What, one of the things I've noticed about the best coaches is that they understand their person that they're coaching so well. And it's different for everyone they're coaching. Some athletes need a bit of a push, need a bit of a kick in the butt because they're not holding themselves accountable. Some athletes don't, you know, are beating themselves up. They don't need us to jump on top, right? And beat themselves. And it's the same thing for us as coaches for our teams. We have to understand, are they being excessively hard on themselves? Are they not being hard enough on themselves? And so then we need a bit more heart or a bit more edge. But what we don't want to do, and this is a real key part, is that, and it's hard to see because of the impact intent problem, to know how much pressure a kid is putting on themselves. They are putting so much pressure on themselves. They have so many signals from so many places that says, you got to get good marks. You got to get into a good school. You got to, you got to do this, this, and this. You got to be socially, you know, you got to be better than everybody else. Yeah. And, and so parents need to be really careful not to add too much pressure. I mean, honestly, now look, I'm a slightly different maybe, but for my kids, I, as a rule, did not look at their report cards, look at their marks on their report cards. I looked that's, at... That's a great idea. Really? I mean, now people are going to say, oh, that's BS. I'd never do that. Well, fine. But I can tell you my kids, because I knew my kids, they put a lot of pressure on themselves as it is, right? That they didn't need me to jump on top and to add to that. Now, that might not be situationally specific. So it may not work for you, but... But just let me say this to all the parents who do look at Mark, you know, online marks, every assignment, every essay, every test mark is there. Oh my God, if you sit there with your kid, look at the mark you got, that is going to just add pressure they do not need. Thank you. Thank you for that. I, I totally agree. I mean, coming from an Asian family and growing up Asian, I don't even have to say anymore. <laughs> no, exactly. Exactly. Uh, yeah, it, that's not a stereotype there. Let's talk about mindfulness. We hear that word a lot <clears throat> and that, you know, it's, it's very important. Why has it become such a big deal these days? And tell us what y- your definition of mindfulness is. <laughs> sure. Well, I'm a big fan of mindfulness. I don't know what you read in my intro. I mean, I know, but... I, but one of the things that I was fortunate enough to do is 25, 24 years ago, 2005, I guess, I trained with John Kabat-Zinn, who's kind of a guru, a pioneer in mindfulness. People who know mindfulness will know his name. Uh, I trained at the University of Massachusetts with him and, um, and I've had a pretty kind of, you know, significant mindfulness practice for the last 30 years because I started in 1989 is actually when I first I know, and you, learned you of it. You spent two years at a monastery in Asia too. Yeah, so. not the whole time, just parts of two years. And so that was a big informative time. And I'll say this, the reason I mention all this is that mindfulness, yes, is a practice that has come from a certain part of the world that in some ways has a certain, you know, belief system with, you know, Buddhism being at the heart. But, and, and that might appeal to a lot of people. It certainly does to me. But it doesn't have that. You don't have to worry about that part of it. Really, at the end of the day, it is definitionally very simple. It's paying attention non-judgmentally, non-reactively. And this is John's uh, definition, by the way. And I, this is the part I like about it. He says, you know, it's paying attention non-judgmentally, non-reactively. This is his part, which I love. As if your life depended on it. And it does, right? So it's a practice, right? 
Every day you should sit and meditate for at least 10 minutes. There's a whole bunch of great resources. By the way, there's, there's, there's one that I have called Mindfulness Live, which you punch that into Facebook. Um, I was leading kind of mindfulness every morning for like 10 or 15 minutes. And all the, the, uh, the archive videos are there. So you can actually go and listen to like 25. It's all free, but there's a whole bunch of other free resources. You can go to, you know, a whole bunch of other ones. But the point is this. It's like going to the gym for the brain, really. You go to the gym because you want to be in shape so that you have more energy during the day. You go to practice mindfulness. So during the day, and I'll tell you about the practice, but during the day, you can be a little bit less judgmental, a little bit less reactive, a little bit more present and be able to listen, right? So literally every time Cyril Lazar at Harvard has found that if you do 10 minutes a day for about six or eight weeks, I forget which you know, that study, I think it might've been eight weeks, but 10 minutes a day for six or eight weeks, literally your left prefrontal grows in size, calms our amygdala and creates a situation where when you're under pressure in those more difficult moments, you can calm yourself. You've got a little bit more muscle, that neural superhighway to calm that amygdala. So you can, again, be more present, be less judgmental, be closer to your best in that most difficult moment. Yeah. It's a really great way for me to reflect. Sometimes my amygdala still gets hijacked, but I always end my day before I go to bed with either a mindfulness work, or if I can't quiet my mind, then I'll just do a mantra. Uh, sure. 10, 15, 20 minutes. And that at least it helps me focus on something. And it really, really helps. So you're right about that. Yeah. One, one, one other tip, when, when I'm really in a good place, like, you know, it's morning, it's early, I don't necessarily need um, to, to listen to someone guiding me. But when I get tired, I do. And so, you know, I'll go and listen to, um, you know, a guided mindfulness. And so my point is just for people, if you're doing it at night, use your, by the way, even if you, you're new, get definitely get a resource. But especially at night, you might need a little bit more because we're not as attentive in the evening. And I'm certainly, you know, not as attentive. And you're tired, you might fall asleep. So you want to... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's easy at that time. Piggybacking off mindfulness, because I feel like emotional intelligence is a part of mindfulness. Like I think the more mindfulness we get, the better we are in touch with our emotion and more intelligence from it. So why do you think it's more important than, say, IQ in determining how we perform? Yeah, well, actually, it's not that I believe it. It's just there's tons of research. Yeah, uh, that's and I'm true. Just, I'm just having fun. I'm just having fun with your yeah. question. But um, no, it's it's like, I mean, we know IQ matters to a certain degree, right? And we know of it as like a threshold capability, an entrance criteria. You need a certain amount. Once you cross that line, any more IQ doesn't necessarily give you an advantage, right? Warren Buffett has a great line. He says, if you've got an IQ of 150, take 30, sell it, get some value for it. You know, because he gets that once you cross that line, you know, any more doesn't make any difference. However, your level of emotional intelligence, especially right now in this disruptive time where you have to do difficult things, where you have a lot of emotions that come up while you're doing difficult things. Oh my gosh. That's why we need to be able to calm our amygdala, be able to think clearly under pressure, be able to connect. This is the big one. Be able to connect with others on a team, 
in a, on a committee, on, in a meeting, on and on and on. It's, it's not about IQ. I mean, we need a certain amount of IQ. But beyond that threshold, it's really about emotional intelligence that makes all the difference, especially for leadership, which is kind of my big area of, of research and, and practice. And as a parent, we're, we're a leader as a parent. So EQ is the essential skill now in the 21st century, hands down. Any, if you ask anybody, any company, high-performing company, they'll say it, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so the big thing is for people to find ways to develop their emotional intelligence. I'll tell you, one of the things that I'm really excited about is in about the last five or six years, we've digitally transformed our learning at IHP, like our learning products. So, you know, we would work with clients in person all over the world, right? And that's great. But what we've started to find is they're paying a lot of money for you know, hotel, food, flights to get their people there. So we've digitally transformed our products so people can actually literally go, you know, onto our website, sign up for what we call a loop program, L-O-O-P, live online open program. And these are programs that are live facilitated by one of our world-class facilitators. So you can literally sign up and you do three sessions over the course of a week three two-hour sessions with a group of 15 or 20 people, live facilitated. Sometimes a facilitator puts you into like breakout rooms so you can have conversations with one other or two other people. But the point is it develops emotional intelligence. And so find a way, whoever's listening, find, and, and certainly, you know, I, I'm happy to, you know, IHP.com, look for Loop. But, but there's a lot of other resources. It doesn't have to be ours, but go and develop this because it will make a difference for you to be able in those pressure moments to be better with your team. We're running out of time, Ashley. So I want to at least make sure <clears throat> that people know your webpage. It's IHP.com. All the information Correct. that JP talked about today is on his website. Thank you so much, JP, for coming on. You shared such valuable information. And I hope that parents really go out there and really execute what you're saying. Pleasure to be on here. And just to all the parents, listen, just trust your gut. Trust your gut. Do what you know to be true. Trust your gut, not your head, if that makes sense. Have Thank a great you. day, everyone. Thank you. Until next time, listeners, always be learning and always be growing. Thank you so much for joining us today. Go to parentpumpradio.com and click on the pink box on the top of our homepage to listen to our new and archived shows. To be instantly notified of new episodes, subscribe to our RSS feed. The RSS feed button is located at the top of the page where all our shows are featured. And after listening to the show, go to parentpumpradio.com or our Facebook page to leave your comments, questions, and topic suggestions. Until next time, have a wonderful week.